Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. They've got to drive to the basket. It's down to seven seconds. You can see the time. Wittenberg, oh, it's a long way. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, please smash the like button like you're Brandon Davis. You have consent. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, knock that out while you're here. Let's get into it. Arizona won at Washington State late Thursday while UCLA lost at USC and Utah a one at Oregon State. Consequently, the Pac-12 race has tightened up a bit. The top of the league standings now look like this. First place alone, UCLA, 8-2 league record. Second place alone, Utah, 8-3 conference record. Tied for third, Arizona and USC. They're both 7-3 in the league. The class of the league, despite what the standings might suggest, continues to be Arizona and UCLA with Utah, yes, emerging as a surprising third best team after being picked 10th in the preseason Pac-12 media poll. So that's impressive stuff from the Utes. As for Arizona and UCLA, I've got the Wildcats and Bruins now ranked 8th and 10th, respectively, in the top 25 and 1. Both have flawed resumes that I'm going to walk you through in a second. But first, uh, some questions for Norlander. One, dead leg, do you consider Utah a real contender for the Pac-12 title as the Utes sit here alone in second in the Pac-12 standings. And a second question, if I put UCLA and Arizona on neutral court tonight, who you take? All right, second question first. UCLA, Arizona, neutral court tonight. Now to give me a random city in California. Let's go to Macula, just, just to be funny. Okay, I, I'm actually going to Temecula next weekend. Stop. No, you're not. I swear to God. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. You're going to be working the book for this game? <laughs> That's no. too good. Oh, my gosh. All right. So, Zona, Zona UCLA in the middle of Temecula. Meet me in Temecula. I know, right? Um, that, like, it's weird that that is what that is. That little Twitter thing is what people think of when they think of Temecula, if they think of Temecula at all. If you don't know what we're talking about, just do a Google search on meet me in Temecula. Uh, you, have to be, <laughs> you have to be fairly online to get that reference. 
I would take neutral and Temecula. Although that's like, that's like a that's a semi home for UCLA. I feel like uh, I would I would probably take Arizona in that spot. I'll get to Utah in just a second. How about this on Tabellus? I was checking this out earlier this morning. Azulis Tabellus, who is probably underrated at this point, he leads the Pac-12 in rebounding and scoring right now. There's only six. I'm not going to tribute time you on this because you wouldn't get a lot of these guys. Uh, you'd get two of them. Only six players have ever done that. Lou Alcindor did it three times, which is no shock, but he's the only player to do it at least twice. Alcindor did it every single year that he was on varsity. Reminder, there was no freshman team back when he played at UCLA back in the late 60s. Walton did it once. Mark McNamara at Cal. I know you remember him. Early 80s did it. Yeah. Shouts to Oregon State legend A.C. Green, who did it in 84, 85. Not, 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 not one of us. No, actually not at all. Not guaranteed. Not one of us. He's a them. He is a them. Gets the mention here regardless. Ike Diago did it for ASU in 0405. And then uh, Leon Poe at Cal 506. Which Tabellus might well do it. He'd be the seventh player ever in league history to do that. I, I would take Zona narrowly in that spot there. It did get a good win. I, I, I stayed up to the bitter end, GP. I, you know why? I just had to make sure they weren't going to get swept by Wazoo. But they did hold on in, a, in, an, in another defensive battle. Again, a good sign for Arizona. Was able to hold off at home against UCLA when UCLA dictated the tempo. Kyle Smith's Cougars team, after getting the better of Arizona like two weeks ago, they, Zona was able to return the favor there. Tabellus had 18-12 and 12 on Thursday night in getting that win, and it was his ninth double-double of the season. I, so I don't want it to be total recency bias with this, but, and this is the second time this season, that UCLA has four losses. Both losses have come in back-to-back fashions. I would argue that all four losses are all understandable. Now, your homie from Memphis, Boogie Ellis. Mm-hmm. Technically Luther, San Diego, but he, did, he spent time in Memphis. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. He matched UCLA scoring output in the second half. Boogie Ellis had 27 and UCLA had 27. So uh, he can be super, super fun to watch. And to see him thrive is always a lot of fun. USC is basically a bubble team. I'd probably have them in the field right now. And the fact that they just they just tore through. It was surprising in the second half to see USC do what it did. I mean, it, it and it actually has done that in both games. They split the season series, but in second half play this season, keep this in mind, if... USC finds itself in a kind of winner or else situation in the Pac-12 tournament against UCLA. If it's, if it's a team on the bubble on the fence, projected, you know, last two in, first two out, all that good stuff. USC has outscored UCLA by 41 points in the second half in its two games this season, which is a good sign. It had a uh, it had a 25 to three run at one point in that game. There, I would take Arizona narrowly on a neutral. As for Utah. You have to say that it's in the mix right now. It's in the chase. But Utah is a bit, and I did. I was in, a, I think I might have been higher on Utah than anyone going into the season. I, I projected this team would make the tournament out of the Pac 12. I don't think that was uh, an opinion many others held there. But it couldn't have been because they were picked 10th in the preseason media poll. Exactly. 46 in the net right now. Here's the thing in the context of its tournament prospects, Needs to do a lot more, undeniably. Has has eight quad one wins, eight quad one, excuse me, eight quad four wins and eight quad four games. The only big six teams with more than that, GP, are Houston, which is vying to be on the one line. TCU, which qualifies as a top 15 team in the country, despite the, the quad 
four numbers. And then Texas A&M has eight quad four games as well and projects as a tournament team, but we'll see where they're... Utah doesn't have that benefit. In the context of the Pac-12, I think so. And as I tweeted late on Thursday night, I thought this was a good night for the Pac-12 because while you would... It, it, the league would love to see either UCLA and Arizona both like manage to be a one and two seed, right? That they'd love to see that it gives you the best chance of making a final four, all that good stuff. You got to have some sort of third team step up here and be a factor and, and make itself to be a no doubt about it tournament team. They don't have that yet. It is going to, it's going to surface. Pac-12 is not going to be a two bid league. At least three will get in and there's a, there's a healthy chance for four. Utah seems like as strong of a candidate as anyone at this point, but because it played a week non-conference schedule and it's got like, He's got a home loss to Sam Houston State out there, which is, you know, Sam Houston State isn't terrible. They're one of the better teams in the WAC, and they've got a good record. It's still not a good loss to have by any means. They've got more to do. They've got a decent chance on this end. And then it's yours. Take it away. Utah still has home games against Stanford and Cal and Colorado. It's got UCLA at home. It's got USC at home. Still got to go and do the Arizona swing. But I actually think at 8-3, and three, it's got a... It's got a healthy chance at being there. I'm, there's no chance I'm picking them to win the league, but I would say that it's better than 50% that the Utes will be in the top three at the end of uh, the regular season. Yeah, for what it's worth, Ken Palm currently projects UCLA to still win this league by two games, finishing with a 16-4 and four conference record. The projections have Arizona at 14-6, and six, again, two games back of UCLA, and then Utah-USC at 13-7. and seven. So, yeah, it seems likely that Utah is going to be a, 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 certainly a top four team in the Pac-12, perhaps a top three. And I wouldn't even rule out top two, although, you know, whether you base it on your eyeballs or any sort of computer numbers, uh, UCLA and Arizona are going to rate um, significantly higher than Utah. But still, um, nice development for Utah to even be in this position. If you'd have asked me in the preseason on January 27th, do you think you'll touch on Utah in the A block of an episode of the Iron College Basketball Podcast? I'd say probably not, but here we are. Um, UCLA and Arizona, both interesting to me. Um, in, in recent days, maybe for a week or so, I'm not sure, it, every morning you tweet the top 25 and one, and every morning people start replying to it. And um, so, some of the question, I would argue most of the questions are nonsensical, um, but some of them are totally reasonable questions. I don't go back and forth with folks on Twitter about it just because of the character limitations. And I have found it in years past to be a, a not great use of, of my time. Um, but, but there are times when I am compelled to, to address um, the, the questions that are being asked. And, and given that, we were going to talk about the Pac-12 today uh, based on what happened last night. I thought this might be a, a good explanation, a good place to, to explain uh, sort of why I have UCLA where I have them and why I have Arizona where I have it. Because in recent days, um, two of the most shared comments would be something along the lines of how do you have UCLA that high and how do you have Arizona that low? And, I think now after UCLA loses by double digits at USC and I bump them down to 10, perhaps the why do you have UCLA so high stuff is over. But that what that was rooted in um, was a lack of big wins for the Bruins, which I believe we've touched on before. Fast forward to the present after last night's loss at USC, and UCLA is now 4-4 four and four in Quadrant 1, 6-0 in Quadrant 2, or, or 10 and four in the first two quadrants with zero losses outside of quadrant one. That's solid in the sense that 
UCLA has no resume damaging losses. Um, but UCLA also has zero wins over schools, also ranked in the top 25 and one. Like the Bruins' best win to date is probably a neutral court win over a Kentucky team that's been one of the sport's biggest disappointments. And if UCLA doesn't beat Arizona in the regular season finale, that's on March 4th, the Bruins are going to enter the Pac-12 tournament with zero wins over teams currently ranked in the top 30 of the net. Now, some of this is the Pac-12's fault for not providing enough, you know, top 30 opportunities. Uh, but good luck trying to get a number one seed in the NCAA tournament with zero wins over top 30 net teams. I'm not saying it would be impossible for UCLA to do it, but I definitely bet against it. So whatever happens between now and March 4th happens between now and March 4th. But UCLA really needs to add that home victory over Arizona uh, simply because the Bruins at this point don't have any victories like that. As for Arizona, I'm certain I still have people, Arizona fans, wondering, why do you have Arizona eight? That's two spots lower than the AP poll, and we have all these big wins. And they do have big wins. Arizona has wins over Tennessee, UCLA, San Diego State, Creighton, and Indiana. Remember, I just told you UCLA has zero wins over top 30 net teams. Arizona has five wins over top 25 net teams. That's awesome. But the loss column, which is something fans almost never bring up, is a bit problematic. They have two losses, Arizona does, to teams ranked outside of the top 60 of the net. It's a loss to Oregon, which is 61st, a loss to Washington State, which is 72nd. For some context, I went and looked this up. Four of the seven teams I have ranked ahead of Arizona right now have zero losses to teams ranked outside of the top 60 of the net. And literally nobody else in the top 20 of the top 25 and one has more than one loss to a team ranked outside of the top 60 of the net. Nobody other than Arizona has more than one loss to a team outside of the top 60 of the net. Arizona has two. So if you're one of the Arizona fans tweeting, wondering why I have the Wildcats slightly lower than where AP voters have them, that, that's the answer. Arizona's loss column isn't bad, but it is quite clearly worse than the loss column attached to every team I have ranked ahead of them. And from my perspective, the loss column should always matter when it comes to ranking or, or seeding teams. Uh, that doesn't put a ceiling on what I think either one of these teams can do. UCLA's lack of wins doesn't mean I – big wins doesn't mean I don't think the Bruins can go to a Final Four. Arizona's somewhat problematic loss column doesn't make me think the Wildcats can't go to the Final Four. But if you're wondering why Arizona is where I have them, that's it. The loss column is unlike any other team I have literally in the top 20 of the top 25 and one. Over under three and a half bids for the Pac-12 this season. Under, I'll say three, three to the league. Mm, I might be inclined to agree with you. I just want a little more data, uh, but that is certainly conceivable for a league that has done like decently well, big picture, but it just has not. The, the losses have, have balanced it out a little bit as well because the league itself has 10 wins against AP top 25 opponents that's per the league, and I think that's at the time of the victory. So, for example, Arizona gets its win over Creighton, and that was a great game. Creighton was ranked then, not ranked now. But at the time, it has 10, it has 10 wins, and then some of the most notable wins over just good teams. Colorado's got a pair, but Colorado's not a, it's not a tournament team. You know, it's got, it's got a win over Tennessee and A&M. 
Uh, Arizona State, maybe I don't, it's it's got to win over Creighton. You know, we'll see. Um, you mentioned all of Arizona's wins. USC also has a win against Auburn. I don't know. Like that's we'll see. Like Auburn's got a good record, but how good is the team overall? The Pac-12 does have eight teams in the top seventy-five of the net, which if that can and, the, and then there's a significant drop off. But if you can get the results to break your way and the right teams win the right games and they don't lose any bad ones, four is certainly on the table. I think I would agree, though. I, I think if you made me pick over under three and a half, I would say the league sends three. So um, looking ahead, UCLA is off this weekend, um, as is USC, because they play that crosstown game on a Thursday night. Arizona is at Washington on Saturday and Utah is at Oregon on Saturday. So Utah will have to win as an underdog to, to keep pace with UCLA and, and Arizona, but they've, uh, they've been winning games they weren't supposed to win. So we'll see what happens this weekend. Moving on, UConn is playing at DePaul uh, this weekend. So that, that should be a win, but who knows? Who knows these days? We'll talk about Dan Hurley's Huskies next. First, a word from our partners. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. So Norlander went to Stores, Connecticut a couple nights ago. Xavier Yukon. That means he witnessed the Huskies' latest loss. His team started 14-0 with 13 double-digit wins. Among them, double-digit wins over the team that is in first place in the SEC, Alabama, and a team that's in first place in the Big 12, Iowa State. Now they can't beat anybody. Two and six past eight, two losses to sub-60 Ken Palm teams. Um I know a season can be a roller coaster, but this is extreme. Less than a month ago, UConn was 14-0 with 13 double-digit wins, mm-hmm. and those wins included the teams I currently have ranked second and fourth in the top 25-1. and one. Since then, the Huskies are 2-6. and six. Explain it if you can. And this is actually a bit hard to explain because they have – the depth, the size, the athleticism. I think on the whole, the shooting to, to get all this done. And it has been a bit weird. Now, got swept by Xavier. That's the first, Now, they haven't been conference mates for a long time, but Xavier had never swept UConn in a season series. And so that was considered Xavier's level and where it's at right now. Sean Miller 
his last season, I want to say Xavier was a three, and that you know, it's not worst case scenario. Xavier could you know crater a bit and get worse than that, but he's he's tracking toward either equaling or besting the best seed he ever had when he was at Xavier. Uh, obviously, that school has one one seed in its history. Chris Mack's final season before he left for Louisville, so you got the two Xavier losses there um, at Providence at Marquette. I think those are reasonable defeats. They, they, those are two of the past six that they've that they've wound up losing. Home to St. John's is vexing. That happened back on January 15th. And then they lost a one-point game that they should not have lost against Seton Hall. The wins, nine points over Creighton, destroyed Butler. So there are still like signals in there that this can still be a, a top-level team. I did, I did speak with Dan for about 10 minutes one-on-one after the game on Wednesday, and I... I alluded to this a little bit in my Thursday power rankings because I kind of recapped the night from both team angles there. I've talked with Hurley after wins and losses of all kinds of shapes and sizes. And whether on or off record, he's given me, <laughs> he has given me a, a spectrum of uh, emotive responses. Uh, and I'll be honest, I was kind of expecting a pissed off throw the jacket against the wall kind of Dan Hurley that's not what this was whatsoever Uh, he was calm optimistic I think a lot of that is because the beginning of the game like Andre Jackson I think went 0 for 6 or 0 for 7 to start the game from the field and he's just not a good shooter it's the one thing if he if Andre Jackson could shoot the ball from beyond the three-point arc at a 35% clip he would be a top 15 top 20 pick in the NBA draft. He's that good of an athlete. Uh, I talked to a few scouts that he's still so highly regarded defensively and as a teammate, but he is so polarizing because his shot is not reliable. And so early on, you know, Xavier gets out nine, nothing. Then it's 12 2 that bloats to a 15 point deficit at the half and 40 minute game. That's why it matters. If, if that had not been the case, if this thing had started off, 11 to 8 Xavier, not 12 to 2 Xavier, then I think UConn probably would have won. And then there's just like small things. Hurley called the timeout when Jordan Hawkins, who had a tremendous game, that dude's going in the first round. He, he, had, he was going up, rising up for a two-point shot. It goes in, but Hurley had a Bill Self. He, he, and I asked him about it after. He's like, the thing was falling apart. I actually almost called the timeout two seconds before I did. I waited, and I was like, nah, we're done here. And so then he called it. They awarded it to him. Uh, he actually he told me they awarded that timeout in real time about a second and a half after he called it. So it looked worse than when he actually decided it in real time, according to what Hurley told me there. So, yeah, it's a, it's they're in a they're in a major slump. No doubt about it. Six of eight could have never envisioned this team losing three of four, let alone six and eight. When it you said 14, 13 double digit wins, it's first 13 games were all double digit margins. And then it's 14th win at home over Nova was its first of the season that wasn't decided um, by 10 or more points. And now, yeah, they've 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 hit a rut. They've got two games here at DePaul. They've got a little bit of a break. They play at DePaul on Tuesday, and then next weekend they go at Georgetown. So they've got time to rest, recoup, get it right. And if UConn is what we thought it was going to be, then it wins those games without leaving hardly any doubt on the table. Those are two bad teams. Yes, they are road games. No, nothing is automatic. But if you are UConn and you can be the team that Hurley said, he told me, he's like, listen, I still think, and it's not, it wasn't like, nonsense coach blather i'm going to say these words i don't even believe it he's like there's no reason why we aren't going to get this together and we can't win the biggest tournament and i agree with hurley doesn't matter where they're seated 
And I think UConn could be as good as a three. When you look at their situation, five and six in the Big East, I think their best case scenario in the Big East tournament is a three seed. That's the best case that they can rally it because they're not going to catch Xavier in the standings. And it's probably going to be too much to ask them to leapfrog both Providence and Marquette. Maybe, maybe they can get one of them, but that's the best case. The lowest, they won't, this won't get worse than a seven and it probably won't even be a seven. So let's put them on the four or the five line in the league standings when they get to Madison Square Garden there. No matter where that is, they are capable of winning that tournament and getting the automatic bid out of the Big East and still being a danger. Overall, I still think that their their potential with everything they have on the roster and they can't play Sonogo and Klingon at the same same time and I get that and it was almost ironic in the fact that you had a great game out of Hawkins you had a really good game out of Tristan Newton and then Sonogo and Klingon combined for like what 11 13 points something like that they just did not have a good game and normally you would think if you're going to get Hawkins to play that well Newton to play that well in your, in your home environment, you're going to have enough from the preseason biggest player of the year. And if not, a guy in Klingon who's been one of the more surprising players nationally just because of the the burn that he winds up getting there. But it was not that. I'm in this weird place with UConn where I, I can I can just I can kind of see this team pulling a pulling a UConn of years past. Not that it would win the title, but maybe it just meanders to the five line. But then it makes the Elite Eight because of the the talent, the size, everything with that. But with where it is right now, it, it does set up as one of the more interesting watches this season because there is an element of unpredictability with this team that we just didn't think was on the table, particularly by mid-December when it was playing better than anyone in the country. People I respect were literally tweeting, UConn's the best team in the country and it's not particularly close. And I, I don't know whether that did was... Did I tweet that, by the way? I hope I didn't, but <laughs> maybe I did. If I'm being honest, it, the way I remember it was our yeah. buddy Sam Vecini tweeting yeah. that. I, um, I, 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 we'll see if we can get on the pod before we wrap here. He's actually here. He's actually here. He's just keeping quiet. Like, I don't say that. Like, Sam is among the smartest basketball people um, working in our industry that I know. That's why I said by people I respect. I didn't want to pin it on Sam if it's not Sam, but since you... I believe it was Sam. It, my point is that it wasn't a crazy thing to say at the time. And now it seems insane. I still have UConn 26th in the top 25. Really? Well, here's the thing. Here's that's the just, thing. That's all resume. They are. Uh, yeah, I got you. Like, just, okay, okay, okay. I've got something that I think will surprise you because it okay. surprised me. First right. off, yes, it is largely resume because, and it speaks to how awesome they were early, that they still have a resume that can totally reasonably be ranked. Take the computer numbers and set them aside because the computer numbers are Still wild, like Kim seventh in the net, sixth at Ken Palm, sixth at BPI, eighth at Sagarin, um, seventh at Torvik. Like UConn is still strong in basically every computer. Um, but even from the resume perspective, there four quadrant one wins, only one loss outside of quadrant one, and they are seven and five in the first two quadrants. So seven and five in the first two quadrants with one loss outside of the first two quadrants. That's as good as anybody else's resume you could reasonably put at 26. Just trust me. As somebody who looks at this stuff every morning, just the first two, a reminder, if you're listening, just the first two quadrants, though. Meaning, they have one quadrant three loss. So they're yeah. seven and five in the first two quadrants with one quadrant three loss. Like other teams I'm considering at 26, Rutgers, Nevada, New Mexico are all similar or worse than that. So I've still got UConn 26. Here's what I think might surprise you. Um, I don't know if you know this, but at barttorvik.com, you can sort of 
you can sort the data from like one date to the next. I taught you this, and now I love to see you. I, I, I taught you how to walk, and I love to see you run. Baby, I'm just sorting stuff. I just sit back. I just sit back, sip a drink, and sort stuff all night long. So it will not surprise you that through the first 14 games of this season, when UConn was 14-0 and with 13 double-digit wins, according to BartTorvik.com, in that stretch of 14 games, UConn was rated as the second-best team in the country, behind only Houston. This might surprise you. It surprised me. In the past eight games, UConn is two and six. And if you run the data on that eight-game span, Mm -hmm. where do you think UConn ranks in the country? This is a setup. Uh, I'll say fifth. No, 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 no. No, that's crazy. You couldn't go two and six. Well, I don't know what you're doing to me right now. Here's the 26th. They're still top 26 in the country during this two and six stretch. (laughs) I was about to throw Tomovic out the window if it was top. Well, I, I know the way I set it up, like led yeah, you to yeah. go high, but like would yeah. that just blindly you just go? I wonder what how UConn's performing in this two and six stretch. Still top twenty six in the country according to BartTorvik.com. Mm. Okay, valid. That that what? Let me interpret that. If you're a UConn fan, that is encouraging because what it what it suggests is that even while the record has turned terrible, your team's not actually performing as poorly as it probably feels is that an accurate assessment and i would agree with that i would agree with that i still consider this team to be a dangerous team big picture there's just to have enough there i know you can't fan by the way like just just total fan moments but i'm at i'm on press row and uh and we're they they moved it so we're kind of perched up high at gamble so we're literally right next to a lot of fans and some some students there and I was sitting right next to, uh, right in front of John Fanta. And like the game ends, there's like two or three fans walking by telling Fanta, like, we got to get rid of Hurley. What are we talking about here? Like, come on. Like, <laughs> what are we doing? They're just, they're just fans. I get it. But like, and one of them actually said it. And, and then Fanta didn't respond. He might like acknowledge him, like looking at him, but he didn't say anything. And then he gave it a beat. He goes, okay, maybe that was a little harsh. <laughs> and I'm like laughing at myself. I'm like, yeah, it was a little harsh, actually. Like, I get it. I understand. Like, you start 14 and 0, now you're 16 and 6, and you all you immediately want to blame the head coach. I, I get all that. But where you are as a program right now uh, in this season is in the, in the greater realm, like, he's done a pretty good job. I, while acknowledging this, he does not have a win in the NCAA tournament yet at UConn. So that is, I think that is the source, either subconsciously or recognized from a lot of UConn fans, is that oh sweet, we were awesome and had some great wins for the first six, seven weeks of the season. But now look at us. We're below 500, more than halfway through Big East play. Is this team just going to sputter to the tournament? We'll be a a seven seed again and then lose to a 10 in the first round. If you have those anxieties, I completely get it. But I still do like this team. I might, we'll see what they do the rest of the regular season, GP. But I I could see myself just playing myself and being like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to trust the guys that they have right now and I'll write them into the Sweet 16 and then wind up regretting it. But I still uh, consider them among the, how about this? I would say I would consider UConn, despite its six of eight losing slump here, I would consider them among the 10 to 12 most dangerous teams in the country, especially when they're clicking, because I think they have a lot of it there. And I think a lot of this also comes to the fact that Andre Jackson, I think is really the spirit, the soul of the team. And he had a bad start. And so sometimes teams, when the guy who is really the most vocal, he's just, he's the alpha when he is not performing well, I think sometimes some teams can, can grip a little bit and that can have some impacts within the context of a game over a certain five, seven, 10 minute stretch there that happened to UConn. I thought it was impressive the way that it rallied, but 
for all we've talked about UConn, I will just admit, I got a, I was there, saw Xavier and 17 and four, nine and one in the, in the big East right now, the schedule was more favorable on the front end than the back end, but no matter, this is the best team in that conference. And they, they are, they are a final four contender and year one under Sean Miller. That is, uh, that is a remarkable thing that you could say that all, you know, it's, when they can, they can, and man, they can just really pour it in. They just have so many different ways that they can beat you and they can shoot from all over the floor. So I wasn't surprised that Xavier won the game. I, I didn't really know what to expect going in. I was sitting there talking with one of the Xavier assistants before, before tip. And I was like, I got no expectation for this. <laughs> like, I think you guys could lose by 20 or you might win by 15. And we kind of got a little bit of that over the course of that game there, but they continue to do well. Sule boom is a top five is a top five transfer in the country at this point, and uh, they will play at Creighton. We'll get to that in just a little bit. That's one of the best games of Saturday on CBS. I put Sule Boom on my top twenty wooden watch list that I ballot that I had to turn in earlier this week. I think that's fair. And yeah, uh, yeah I had Sule Boom in that, and nineteen other people. We can talk about it another day. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That's like that's like 30 straight minutes of basketball talk. Is that what we just did? 30 straight minutes oh, we do. of basketball talk, which is what we're known for. Now some non-basketball talk, but a basketball story. Clemson's Brevin Galloway, whoo boy, had a pretty wild Thursday. He uploaded a video from a hospital bed to we really gonna, we're gonna play this right. We're, we're gonna play this right now. Is that what's gonna happen? I think I cannot properly retell this story. It okay. has to come from the source himself, and that is Brevin Galloway. He uploads a video to Instagram. He is in a hospital bed, and he goes on to explain what led to him ending up in this situation. I'll let Brevin Galloway tell you himself so this morning i went to lift i came back i took a nap i woke up from my nap my balls and my nutsack were exploded (laughs) now i go to the doctor i have surgery three hours later my balls are reduced to the normal size i don't know what happened to my balls i guess they were trying to be like basketballs but we made it Now I'm going to be spoiled for the next 48 hours. And I will be back in a uniform shortly. Go Tigers. I love Clemson. (laughs) What? 
What happened to your nutsack? Probably should have thrown out a, a disclaimer for any adults listening with kiddos in the car. Yeah. Well, well, he was obviously hopped up on painkillers, so. Look, he looked fun. He looked like he's having a good time, all things considered. He did. Yeah. You don't want your balls to blow up or explode, as he described it. Nobody, nobody needs that. But once, but for a man whose balls exploded earlier in the day, he looked like he's having a pretty good time. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, they've had some. Uh, they've had. A few, <laughs> they've had a few injury issues there at Clemson. This is a whole, whole new deal. This is a whole new deal. They had their point guard, Chase Hunter, who uh, has a foot issue. We'll see if he can be available for Saturday's game at Florida State. We'll see. Um, who else? I was talking with uh, I was talking with Brownell about this. They oh, Alex Hemingway, a guard. He had his his plantar fascia was uh, was damaged. He's supposed to return soon as well. I, I would think, according to what Brownell told me. Like the next one to three games, I think he should be back. <laughs> and now Brevin Galloway, who is, oh, by the way, like a quality player. He's a transfer. He started his career at Charleston, did a stop over last season at Boston College, and now he is he has been a factor and an important one for a Clemson team that sits at 17 and four and is atop the ACC. Um, that is I I I guess he came to, I'm, I'm presuming he came to his senses it was like this was hilarious and i'm of sane mind and i'm gonna put this out there anyway no he was uh, high he couldn't have been higher did you see him no not in the video i'm saying after that was done you think we he just uh, you think he just sent that out like does he even know what he did is are there are there is he laying there in the I'll hospital tell you this, it, right now his balls exploded on thursday afternoon and by thursday night he was he was uploading this video if my balls ever explode on an afternoon, I'm going to be real high the rest of the day and probably the next day. I'll tell I'm you what. High. Um, I'm be, I'd be super high with enlarged balls. I, I have many, uh, many an incriminating photo or video in my role. I do not have. It is long since gone. The There is a photo that was taken circa 2012 mm. of Parrish looking like a corpse after mm. having a kidney stone and you looked uh you look gone you look gone i was hurt i was yeah high, but i was real high then yeah but there but there was no no uploading to the gram so yeah well i, I don't think i would that's not let me be clear that's not the type of thing i would do right but it is the type of thing he would do and if you're curious like what causes your testicles to enlarge in that way. A quick Google search says that common always causes- reliable, by the way. This is definitely the go to. Okay. Well, you ever Google one of your symptoms, you are convinced you're dead. <laughs> like it's like, um, I have a headache and I'm sweating a little bit. You are definitely dying is like the first Google return every time. Don't ever do that. I've, I've been I've been convinced a hundred times I'm dead. Yes. Yes. Common causes of an enlarged testicle include inflammation infections, cyst, and fluid backup. Maybe he has fluid backup. Let's keep going. Maybe he has fluid backup. That's interesting. Only of them, only of them would have fluid backup. This is, this is where we're going with this. I think only of them would have fluid backup, but I don't know for sure. Don't incriminate the man, but I'm not sure, but that's what I think. 
but I'm not sure. It could also, in let's be serious for a second, in rare cases, rare instances, could be a sign of testicular cancer. But we're going to go ahead and rule that out. We're not even going to think in those terms. You're a doctor. I just think the. I just hope it's not fluid back up because that'd be a real shame, you know. Although a lesson, maybe another point in our favor. You want to be us and avoid fluid back up? Or you want to be a them? Have basketballs for balls. It is a Friday, friends. It's a question you should ask yourself. Did you see the viral tweet this week? One of many. I don't know. I'll bring it up here real quick here. I got to bring it up. The, uh, if you're not already following uh, on Twitter at uh, the, the, the at Ion CBB podcasts, please, please do so. Um, this is what's the exact wording. It said someone with the, uh, the handle Thrilla said, please, and I cannot stress this enough, have sex before marriage. What? That's, that's 16,000 tweets and retweets and rolling. So. There you go. Oh, no, I did see that one. Yes, 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 yes. I got that. Yeah, I I saw it. I did did see that. I agree. I mean, I think it's pretty clear. I think it's pretty clear where I stand on this. Anyway, uh, thoughts and (laughs) prayers to Brevin Galloway's just. I just saw your tweet that teased this podcast episode. He goes, the Ion, this is is Gary Parrish, 42 minutes ago. The Ion College Basketball Podcast will be live on YouTube momentarily. We'll open on Arizona, Mm -hmm. UCLA, and the Pac-12 race and then talk about UConn struggles and Brevin Galloway's balls before previewing the weekend. Was that an accurate tweet or not? Is that exactly what we've done? Is nope that exactly note. what we've done? Note for note. Don't tell, don't tell me I can't stay on schedule. I also, I, I, I did. A, I, I threw in a bunch of different items in there and I threw in a swollen testicle. So I knew what was coming. Don't, don't, uh, don't tell me I can't stay We're on not. script. I'm on script right now. Thoughts and prayers to Brevin Galloway in all seriousness. That's a scary thing. I mean, you, take, you, I mean I, you lay down to take a nap and you wake up and your balls are enlarged. That's a scary thing. Right? Let's go. That's next one. That'd be alarming. If I wake up and my arm's asleep, I'm like, this is kind of weird. My balls are always fine. It's my, my arm sometimes is asleep. Okay. That's the worst of it for me. So thoughts and prayers with him. I hope he gets better. ASAP. Back on the court as mm. soon as possible. Any other thoughts from stuff that's happened over the past two days? Let me run you through some bullet points. Duke freshman Dariq Whitehead. It has been confirmed. He will walk again. My reverse jinx works. It did. His injury is not believed to be season ending. That's according to John Shire. Great news. Alabama and Tennessee both won on Wednesday and are now in the top five at Ken Palm. No other SEC team is in the top 20. So there seems to be some separation happening in that league. Although Texas A&M is six and one. So I didn't jinx the Aggies with Wednesday's dribble handoff. They responded by going to Auburn and winning by, I believe, double digits. My Florida Atlantic Owls won their 19th straight game. So they're now 17th in the net. Got a 2-0 record in quadrant one. 3-1 record in the first two quadrants with zero additional losses. That's good stuff. Any thoughts on any of that or anything else? Big shouts to Chris Hassel and Mike O'Donnell. Multiple Multiple mentions of the court report on the broadcast last night. Fellas, I appreciate you. Thank you. And they did a great job on that call. Florida Atlantic got off to a slow start and then just steamrolled. Uh, Great, great, great stuff there. Um, You neglected to mention the fact that 
we gassed up Lowell on the previous podcast. Unbeknownst to us, that night, Lowell was playing none other than Maine, and then oh, no. Maine beat Lowell. And I mentioned Maine on Wednesday's podcast. It's unbelievable. I've got a magic touch. I've got a magic touch. Again, no fluid buildup. I can't explain these things. He magic mentioned touch and no fluid buildup. Um, that's yeah, that's that's just <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> that was truly spooky. Other than that, no, I'll know. San Diego State got a good win on Wednesday night, beat Utah State. Aztecs are now 16 and four with a seven and one record in the Mountain West. We talked about the Mountain West on a recent episode there, so at least wanted to give some love to Brian Dutcher and a shout to Dennis Dodd, who had a, a little more in depth report this week on. San Diego State, which has been it's it's expected. We'll see when it becomes a thing, whether that's February, March or April, that San Diego State will eventually be extended an invite to join the Pac-12. It is by far the uh, the most obvious candidate to do so. So uh, Aztecs on the hardwood got a win. And then if you haven't checked that out, go read Dennis Dodd at CBS Sports dot com. Uh, I think it's it's been, you know, it's been a, Past two days on the court, you know, it's been whatever. But there's a couple of results from last night, but we're going to mix those in with our final four and one preview talk. But I think that, uh, I think that pretty much that covers it. There is actually, I mean, we do have pretty big off the court headline, unfortunate one, but uh, but we can pay respect to a man, right, GP? Of course. Before we get to the final four and one, um, our condolences to to the Packer family. Billy Packer, the legendary color analyst who was. Uh, CBS Sports lead college basketball analyst for nearly three decades um, has died at the age of 82. The family announced Norlander, you and I both grew up watching Billy Packer call games. Uh, when you think of Billy Packer, what pops into your head? Uh, a few things. Um, if you listen to this pod, which some of you are watching on YouTube, but for the many of you that are listening, uh, sent along the the call uh, nada i believe uh, opened this episode with the with packer's most famous call i'll give you his three most famous calls in order i think this one right here i got it queued up i think this is this is number three uh, i think a lot of people think this is nance this is not this is not jim nance this is this is billy packer in 97 simon says championship of course arizona winning against kentucky that's number three number two is from his last season on the call. And this was Twitter existed in 2008, but it was not, it was minuscule. I wasn't even on Twitter in 2008. I don't think you were. Most people weren't, but I remember this being a thing. He wound up being right. I think this is his second most famous call he ever had. Here it is. Early in this ball game. Rush way outside three. Of course. Of course. This game is over. Is it? Yes, it is. Wow. With seven and a half to go in the first half, Kansas pummeling North Carolina. That's 38 to 12 with 732 to go in the 2008 Final Four. Now, Carolina actually pushed that game in the second half and got it to four, but Kansas wound up running away. Packer was, for most intents and purposes, Right. But I remember a lot of people having it. Do you remember that as I do? Oh, yeah. That is like, I don't want to bring up like, it, first off, it should be noted. He was right. I, I don't know if it was four That's or five. Why I bring it up. Yeah. What I read, coming. what I read was five, but it might have been four. But like Carolina did come back and make it close. But Carolina never erased that deficit. The, 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 the game had been decided at the point Billy 
said this game is over. Um, so he was right. That's important to remember. But that seems to be a call that is controversial in the sense that you don't want to be calling. I don't think it's an accident. Jim Nance's response to that was, is it? Because I can just, not that I need to give Billy Packer broadcasting advice. He's a legend and, and I'm me. But they don't want you saying things like that during a broadcast, especially seven, uh, you know, uh, you know, especially early in the first half of a final four game that you're trying to get a big number on it. You don't want your announcers announcing to the world. This game's over. Whatever you get, you know, we'll be back uh, with UCLA Memphis later or however that worked. So, yeah, I think that was a not great Billy Packer moment, even though he was right in what he said. Um, but that is the first one that pops into my head. Well, and Jim, and this speaks to Packer himself. Jim Nance went on CBS on Friday morning and uh, he revealed he actually got to speak to Billy uh two days ago so the day because he said the day before he, he passed and he passed on thursday so he got actually a chance to to speak with him and jim nance was as ardent a defender of billy packer as anyone ever out there and uh called him a basketball genius put him on the level of john madden in terms of all-time analysts in in sports period there and i think that that clip specifically speaks to packer was he was he was certainly at times controversial. He had comments that were, uh, frankly, uh, inappropriate and terrible. There were a few moments like that. But he also was uh, as opinionated but also unafraid to be himself and not criticize on a broadcast as maybe anyone ever. And that's something that there is less and less of, for better or worse. It's just uh, the reality of where broadcasting is today. But he also had a run. Like, that's not getting duplicated calling final fours for more than 30 years as an analyst, Nance is obviously going to, going to hit that level. This is his last one, this upcoming tournament from a play by play perspective there, but no one is duplicating what Packer did. I mean, he, his first final four Packer's first final four was John Wooden's last game. He is, he started at NBC in 74, but the first time he was on the mic was in 75 at an, at a national semifinal and national title game, which is, um, which really is something, man. Talk about a way to kick off uh, a Final Four career. He also, by the way, was the starting point guard for Wake's uh, 1962 Final Four team. So a good player in his own right. And for guys like you and me that didn't live in ACC country, we uh, so much of what we uh, know Packer to be and remember him has is, is, is the voice on CBS calling the tournament, calling Final Fours. But there is a, a, there is a portion of, of our podcast audience who is – it might be a smaller portion, but over the age of 40 and grew up in ACC country and, and Packer was a voice on, on Raycon for, for decades as well. So people heard him weekly. I mean, and so, you know, Wake Forest put out a statement earlier uh, today uh, with, with some quotes from, from folks that played with him uh, and then current coach Steve Forbes and the athletic director there. Uh, one of his, one of his teammates, Ali Hart said he was a great college basketball player and a great student as well. When he was broadcasting, he knew more about college basketball than anyone in the country. He really wanted to get the college and program to come together, and we spoke about that often. I will miss him as he truly did a lot for collegiate athletics. Billy Packer was a major, major champion of college basketball. He came to prominence. Dick Vitale and his association, I think, is the greatest, most enthusiastic ambassador of college basketball that reputation is earned and deserved, but Packer was right there with him. And when college basketball was at its apex in terms of 
cultural relevancy as it grew bigger and better in the 80s and then into the 90s. Packer was right there being a uh, being a prominent voice. And speaking of the 80s, you heard this at the top, but I'll play one more time. This is by far his most famous call and what is one of the most famous title games in the history of the tournament. To the basket. It's down to seven seconds. You can see the time. Wittenberg. Oh, it's a long ways. I very few calls in sports, very few. Maybe you can count them on two hands. Have a better economy and long lasting legacy than those six. They won it on the dunk. And then just give me six or seven seconds here, GP. I lo- they just lay out. This is at the pit in 83. NC State wins the title. They won it on the dunk. And then it's nothing but celebration and Jim Valvano looking for someone to hug. Awesome, awesome stuff. Well, you that's got- what a great broadcaster does is just lay out there. You just great. lay out and let let the sounds and the picture tell the story. And so um, Billy handled that perfectly. Um, and you mentioned, you know, Dick Vitale. It, it's it's interesting that Dick and Billy were both massive figures as color analysts in the industry and yet totally did their jobs different ways. Like they're very different in their approaches and, um, but both, um, you know, made incredible impacts on, on the sport. So yeah, did just want to spend a a few minutes on that. You know, he was more important to college basketball than 99.9% of people who get into covering college basketball will ever be. Um, So a, a, a real, a real loss, uh, obviously for the Packer family, but just for the sport in general. Period. New paragraph. Can we get to the final four and one? Nada, you want to update us on the records? How big is my lead now? Do you really want to talk about the lead? You should be happy. You just went three and two, sir. I feel like I have a sizable lead now. Like you a, a little not. bit. I feel like I'm Kansas. And Norlander is North Carolina in the 2008 Final Four. That's the way it feels to me. I mean, you're Kansas, but like current Kansas on a three-game losing streak. Ooh, I'm current Kansas. I don't want to be current Kansas. Norlander is be 2008 three games Kansas. Norlander's three games ahead of you and rising at this point. This is where I feel like y'all are conspiring. You know, uh, every time I get on this this stupid stream yard, y'all are already on. And I feel like you're I'm because I'm, I'm punctual. It's not. The, maybe just, <laughs> just maybe I think y'all are coming on early and talking about how to manipulate the standings on me before I jump. On. <laughs> There's an I easy feel way. Like that's what's happening. Yeah. Are you really trying to yell? Stop the count like two weeks ago. Really? I feel, I feel like. I feel like stop the steal might be appropriate here. Obviously inappropriate in most instances it's been used. But perhaps appropriate here. Absolutely not. Game one, Saturday, 12, 15 p.m. Eastern. Number 13, Xavier at Creighton. Inside, Adam Durrett Center. He has no connection to Omaha, but he wrote he write a song called Omaha. That's good enough for me. All you right. can watch it on CBS. It's America's most watched network. It's the network of stars. Kim Pom has it Creighton minus four. Give me Creighton. 
That's all I got. I think I'm taking Creighton too. Yeah, give me Creighton. Creighton's twelve and eight overall because of that six game losing streak back in November, December. But the Blue Jays are are twelve and five with Ryan Cockbrenner in the lineup. They went zero and three when he was sidelined by what I believe was Mono. Has that ever been reported? I, I was told it was Mono. I think you just did. Consider it reported. It was Mono. Okay. But now he's back. Creighton is a uh, six and two. I should say I was told it was Mono. I believe it was Mono. Uh, Creighton is six and two since he's returned. And how about this? I don't know if you know, but at BartTorvik.com, you can like sort data from like one day to the next. It's really uh, helpful. Yeah, you want you want to sort sort that wins above bubble? You know, have, have you sorted that yet? Come on, man. <laughs> what are you I talking about? Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yep, that's right. Creighton is the sixth best team in the country since Ryan Kalkbrenner returned, according to BartTorvik.com. Number too little. The number's too little. Creighton minus four. We'll both take them. Congrats to Xavier on their win Saturday. Game two, Saturday, 5 p.m. Eastern. Number 10, Texas at number four, Tennessee. Inside Chris Lofton Arena. You can watch it on ESPN. Kimpom has it Tennessee minus eight. Tennessee. What a game. What a game this is. Rick Barnes against the Longhorns. Final year. Rodney Terry against the Vols. Of the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Mm, I'll have some more of those games after we get to the uh, the picks portion here. Ah, man. I don't know who I picked for the site. <laughs> I sent in the picks. Do you remember who you picked for the site? Of course I do. For the site, we have picked every SEC Big 12 Challenge game against the spread. So if you're interested in our picks and if you want to fade GP... Or me, or both, somehow. Do go over and check that. That will be up later on Friday afternoon at cbssports.com. Give me... What was that line? Tennessee minus eight, according to Ken Palm. That's That's too big. This could be a low-scoring game. Give me Texas to cover that number. That number's too big. Yeah, it is. That it's number's too big. too big. It's not going to be that big on the line post. That would that would surprise me. You can't like you can't give Roddy Terry eight points. Are you have you lost your mind? Taking the balls. I mean, no. What am I doing? I'm taking yeah, Texas. Oh, 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 I'm taking oh. Texas. I'm taking Texas. I'm taking the Longhorns plus the eight. Game three, Saturday. 8 p.m. Eastern. It's number nine, Kansas, at Kentucky, inside Tubby Smith Arena. He never missed the NCAA tournament. You can watch it on ESPN. Kimpom has it, Kentucky minus one. Kimpom has it projected for the Jayhawks to have the first four-game losing streak of Bill Self's career at Kansas. Credit to Jared Burson for this Run the NPN stats and info. No longer does. Run um, reigning AP Player of the Year coming back to school versus the reigning national champion. This happened four times previously. It happened in 62. Jerry Lucas was the reigning player of the year. Cincinnati was the reigning champion. The reigning champion won Cincinnati. In 1980, Mark Aguirre, DePaul legend. It's reigning champ. Louisville, 
Well, that doesn't that year can't be right. Louisville won. The, maybe it happened. Louisville won in eighty. He's saying this this game happened in eighty. Mm, I might. Uh, this might be inaccurate. You're, you're the question, Jared Burson. You know what's you actually? No, he's probably. He, I think he's correct. It happened in November or December of nineteen eighty. That's, that's what I'm thinking. DePaul won. So the reigning player of the year won. 83, Ralph Sampson did it twice against Carolina. The reigning champ won twice. And then in 92, Shaquille O'Neal against Duke. <laughs> First of all, it's incredible that a player like Shaq won player of the year and didn't go to the NBA. <laughs> oh, we are never going back to those days. I, 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 we have players of the year that are bigs. Oscar Seaway is not Shaquille O'Neal. Shaquille O'Neal in college was from another planet. Duke won that one. Here you have Shibway versus Kansas. And I'm taking Shibway. Give me Kentucky to win and cover. I have to go opposite you on game three. The rule we implemented. Again, you have autonomy and authority over this. I'm going to take Kansas anyway, though. All right. I can't assume Bill Self's going to have a four-game losing streak. It's Bill Self for crying out loud. You're expecting Bill Self to do something this weekend he's never done in 20 years at Kansas? That's not what I'm expecting. It's a tough ask, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to go oh, Kentucky. I say the Jayhawks went on the road. Yeah. Game four, Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern. Number 22, St. Mary's at BYU inside the Brandon Davies Center. You can watch it on ESPN2. Kimpom has it. St. Mary's minus seven. Gales. Gales are just seven. on the I'm going road Gales here. at the Brandon Davies Center. Yeah. Have you ever seen the Brandon Davies Center on a Saturday That's, night? And not in person, but I have seen it. St. Mary's is a top 10 team in a litany of predictive metrics has not lost since December 18th. BYU is just not that good. Although I do sense that we are going to have a couple upsets of, of note. Some ranked teams going down this weekend. That seems inevitable. But I'm not going to pick it here. BYU is t- is terrible on offense, man. Has lost three of its past five, and St. Mary's might have its best defensive team ever. I will go with Randy Bennett Scales on the road in this spot. I cannot go against the Cougars at home inside the Brandon Davies Center on a Saturday night. I'm assuming it was a Saturday night when Brandon Davies. Okay. I mean, that's the most likely night, isn't it? What's the most likely night for premarital sex? I would say it's Saturday. It's definitely Saturday. I don't think there's any doubt it's Saturday. Because you got to think, a traditional work week, you got all day. You got all day. You're talking about pre, you're talking about pre, not extra. There's a difference. I still think premarital sex. I think Saturday is the most likely day for all sorts of types of sex. Including premarital. I bet you Brandon Davies had premarital sex on a Saturday. That's what I'm willing to bet. I'm going to I'm gonna say uh, it wasn't necessarily confined to a single day. But this is where this podcast is. We really have run what if that's where he? What if that's where he drew the line? He was like, I will only do this on Saturdays. Guys, there's way too many. Like, there are way too many Friday specials at Applebee's, especially Friday drink specials, for it mm-hmm. not to be Friday night. Coming off the week. Get, going to get rid of that stress. Friday, don't over not the Friday. A, not a thing. Not not a has submitted Friday as the most likely day for premarital sex. I think they're both fine. I think they're both fine.
I've had premarital sex on both. You already know my game. <laughs> hold on. On St. Mary's, I got to ask you some questions. Oh, okay. Hold on. Oh, hold on one second. Okay. Sure. Today is January 27th. It is, yes. I don't know if you know this, but over Friday. Ooh. Ooh. It's you know it's Friday. I ran the, I don't know if you know you do this at BartTorbit.com. You can run the data. You pick a date and do another date and run the data. So I ran the data. Can you find the Sagarin ratings right now if I ask yeah, you? Got bookmarked. Okay. Bookmarked. All right. You run the numbers from December 27th through January 26th. So the past month. When you do that, guess who rates as the best team in the country? That's UConn. trivia time. UConn. No. No. I know. I'm assuming it's St. Mary's. St. Mary's is a correct answer. For the past month, St. Mary's ranks as the best team in the country at BartTorvid.com. The top five would be St. Mary's, Alabama, Tennessee, Creighton, and Houston. St. Mary's right now is fourth at Torvik, sixth in the net, Sagarin, seventh at Ken Palm, ninth at Evan Mia, 15th in BPI, KPI. Is it Evan Mia? Evan. Trust, trust me, before I ever said that name out loud, I went to YouTube and found interviews with him where well, people were... Kawa, so, yeah, okay. Literally, people are calling him... What? <laughs> what did I say? Oh, you said Evan Mia. Just making well, sure. You're, you're the one sorting out these... Uh, listen, you're, you're trying to give a... A masterclass on how to... Oh, I know what I did. Okay. It's evanmia.com. Yeah. Okay. My apologies. (laughs) No, that's what you said. I did. I was confused. Is it Mia or Maya? That was my first question. That's where I went to YouTube. And that's where I got Mia. And the... He is a listener to this podcast and he will will find us. The website is evanmia.com. Okay. M-I-Y. He's got St. Mary's 50th, you're saying? No, 15th. Here's the here's the point. Here's the point. St. Mary's is 1 and 2 in quadrant 1, 5 and 0 in quadrant 2, 7 and 2 in quadrant 3. And then 5 and 0 outside of the first three quadrants. So they got one quadrant 1 win over San Diego State, two quadrant 3 losses to Washington and Colorado State. So their best win is over a borderline top 25 team, and that's their only win over a top 50 Kempom team. And they have two losses to sub 100 Kempom teams. Question are the Gales computer trickers? I'm not going there. No. The resume doesn't match up with the computer know, numbers, I'm and not, I know that it shouldn't necessarily. BYU, got it. We can have this conversation. A All the Gales BYU. computer trickers is what I'm asking you. Uh, my answer is no. Not right now. All right. Let's get to the rest of this. Sunday, 1215 Eastern on CBS. Your guy's going to be right there on Brian Cardinal Court. Michigan State at Purdue. It's EvanMia.com. Ken Palm has it. Purdue minus 10. Who you got? Yeah. I'm going to lay the points with my Boilermakers. Okay. Purdue minus 10. Michigan State has traditionally... You know, it's, it's it's been a soil soil yourself situation there for the Spartans many times. Have not fared well inside Mackey. I cannot wait 
to get to Mackie. If you uh, are a pod listener, find me on Twitter at Matt Norlander. If you've got a suggestion for any food spot in greater West Lafayette or Lafayette, just let me know. I'll be I'll be there Taco for Bell, uh, bro. Say it again. Taco Bell. They got a Taco Bell. That won't be happening. Have so- not have not had Taco Bell. I'm putting the over on. I talked about this recently. Was it on this podcast? I talked about it with someone. I'm saying 09 was the last time I think I had what? Taco Yeah. It's been a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long time. Taco Bell's good, man. You took Purdue. The line being 10, I I will go Michigan State to cover 10. We'll see if it's actually 10 when that line comes out on Saturday. Malik Hall did return for Michigan State. He had 11 points in a good win for Sparty. Held, held Iowa to just 61 on Thursday night. So it sets up for a wonderful matchup here. Rick Mount's old uh, era. They're bringing out the throwback threads for Purdue. And for me, I'm, I'm honored. It's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. I cannot wait in all sincerity to uh, get out there. Purdue has won, by the way, 40 straight games when scoring at least 70 points. 40 straight when they're scoring at least 70. Purdue and St. Mary's. How about this? You did not know this. Purdue and St. Mary's are the only teams in the country this season to hold every single opponent to 70 or fewer points in every game. So, maybe St. Mary's isn't a computer tricker. Maybe that's maybe that's what you're trying to tell me here. That might be uh, the case. Purdue also has seven road wins. Need to talk to... Most by a big six team in the country. Um, because of the game, and then I'm going to do some interviews uh, to be determined when the pod will go live on Sunday and if I will even be on it. So that will, it will, uh, I might be here. I might not. I don't know. I'll we'll get Evan Mia Kawa to come in and sit here. Well, I, you might. From EvanMia.com. All right. Yeah. Maybe just be me. And no, Evan I, Mia I, I could suggest David Cobb or Kyle Boone, but you, you know what you do. You. Uh, or maybe Sam Vicini. He's here right now. Real quick. Rest of the weekend. I'm getting upset vibes. Alabama, Oklahoma, 2 Eastern on ESPN on Saturday. These are all Saturday games. Another one that has a good potential, I think, to be the closest game of the day. Another throwback uniform game, Iowa State at Missouri, 2 Eastern ESPN 2. I think that one could be pretty damn good. Keep an eye. Um, 3 Eastern on Fox, kind of a desperate late January game for Wisconsin. It's Illinois at Wisconsin. Both teams kind of in need of a win, but Wisconsin really could use a turnaround. We'll see if it can pull that off. What percentage are you giving that the Hogs win at Baylor? That's four Eastern on Saturday on ESPN. Give me a percentage. Arkansas beats Baylor outright. Skeptical. Uh, let's put it at. I'm going to put it at thirty percent. Let's see what. That, let's see what Ken Palm has. I got it at seventeen percent off the top of my head. What's Ken, Ken Palm? Ken Palm gives Arkansas a thirty-four percent chance to win at Baylor. Okay. I'm but, uh, half that, yeah. but Arkansas does not win road games. Does not. Has not. Has not. Literally zero wins on the road. Yep. Uh, are the Frogs in trouble, GP? TCU at Mississippi State, 4 Eastern ESPN 2, Saturday. If you'd asked me this in early December, I would have said yes. Uh, Mississippi State had been playing so well lately. Frogs in they trouble come back. The Bulldogs have come back to earth a little bit. Bulldogs, Horn Frogs. Keep an eye. Ranked teams are going down. Big one for Pitt, 4 Eastern ESPN U. Miami at Pitt. Worth watching. Pitt could uh, find itself with, with a viable tournament resume if it's able to get a win there. Uh, for the net, for now, in the meantime. Uh, two more on Saturday. Florida, Kansas State, 6 Eastern ESPN 2. That's Keontae Johnson against his old team. So, you know, storyline there. 
And then I will be in the building uh, 8 o'clock Eastern, Fox, Ohio State at Indiana, Assembly Hall. It's been a good decade since I've walked inside that building, so I am, uh, I'm excited to see that. Ohio State is in, is in need of a big win. Indiana, Mike Whitson didn't coach earlier this week due to COVID, so uh, as we record this, I don't know if he's going to coach or not in this one. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis continues to be the best player in the sport, practically. <laughs> he's just been, he's been outrageous. So that is a, uh, that's a late tip. That's an 8 Eastern tip. So I'm going to go see Buckeyes, Hoosiers, then, you know, do a couple interviews. And I got a two-hour drive up to West Lafayette. It'll be a long one. But you got to do what you got to do. I'd rather, would you rather, I was talking with someone about this yesterday. If you're in my spot there, do you, do you stay? What's your move? You stay in Bloomington and you get up and drive early, or do you want to just get there and wake up in the town, the city where the game is at? I'm I'm the latter, so that's what I'm doing. I'm driving. What would you do? I always want to wake up where I need to be. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Because like have- something goes wrong, you 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 know you leave late, you get a flat tire, you get pulled over, and just let's let's, it, let's just get where we need to be. I would agree. So. Hopefully, I think the weather's supposed to cooperate as well, which is good. And then the Sunday, uh, aside from MSU uh, going to, to Mackey, the only other one that I think is really notable is Rutgers, Iowa, 2 Eastern on Big Ten Network. Then you got the football on the back end of the day. So um, there you go. That's your that's your weekend preview. Can't can't wait to be back here on Sunday with either Norlander or Booner Cobb or Vassini or Evan Miyakawa. Or Brevin Galloway. Get him on. Could be Brevin Gallup. This dude said his nuts exploded. And among the possibilities is a fluid backup. Be careful out there. I know you're I know you out there thinking you're being safe. But you could also be creating a fluid backup, according to Google. You know? Weigh that however you want to weigh it. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Huck. Shouts to Larnell. Thanks to, thanks to uh, shouts to those Clemson doctors, you know, for sure. Thank you for once again listening to the Iron College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe. Anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify, five stars, nice review. Type some words. There's more of us. There's more of us. You see, I'm not. I'm not reading the last comment. But you see the last comment? Don't read it. Don't read it. <laughs> I'm not. But but I. I, I agree. But there's more of us. That there is more of us. We'll talk to you on Sunday. Bye. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.